You're listening to a podcast from York City Church. If you like what you hear and you'd like to find out more, please visit our website at www.yorkcitychurch.org.uk. What a joy to be given an opportunity to speak about Mark's gospel. But just so that you know, other gospels are available. You'll remember Ian Galloway was with us at the beginning of 2020. What a year that was. Uh, Three sessions and now we have his book. And I have a box of nearly 30 of them at a special price for you just to prove that I'm not just about Mark's gospel. But that's it. Well, welcome very, very much this morning uh, to the family home of Jesus here at the Citadel. I hope you do feel very much at home. We're going to listen now to a reading from Mark chapter 3, verses 20 to 35. And Jesus comes home, and the crowd gathers again, to such an extent that they could not even eat a meal. When his family heard of this, they set out from Nazareth to take custody of him. For they were saying, He has lost his senses. The scribes, who had come down from Jerusalem, were saying, He is possessed by Beelzebul, and he casts out the demons by the ruler of the demons. And he called them to himself and began speaking to them in parables. How can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. If a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. If Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but he is finished. But no one can enter the strong man's house and plunder his property unless he first binds the strong man, and then he will plunder his house. Truly, I say to you, people shall be forgiven all sins and whatever blasphemies they utter, but whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is caught in an eternal sin, because, they were saying, He has an unclean spirit. Then his mother and his brothers arrive, and standing outside they sent word to him and called him. A crowd was sitting around him, and they say to him, Look, your mother and your brothers are outside looking for you. Answering them, he says, Who are my mother and my brothers? Looking about at those who were sitting around him, he says, Look, my mother and my brothers, for whoever does the will of God, they are my brother and sister and mother. I wonder why you came today. Uh, Was it to hear the world's best preacher, the world's best worship leader? to look at the world's best architecture. Uh, Maybe uh, you didn't have a choice, maybe you were made to come here, maybe 
uh, you are serving. I wonder if you've ever worried whether you have committed the unforgivable sin. It's a tough thing to start thinking about, isn't it, so early on a lovely Sunday morning. Let's start, though, by looking at a little bit of the structure, just uh, to get the, the dynamics of Mark uh, through. Do you look at this? Rainbow slides. What are the next? Uh, so here we see um, what is uh, called technically, I suppose, a chiasm. The, the letter chi in Greek is a, an, like an X. So a chiasm looks a bit like an X in that it indents. Uh, and what you have is pairs of points um, on the outside moving in, paired up. Um, for the technically minded, you'd call them things like A and A prime, B and B prime, C and C prime. Uh, but the focus in a chiasm is always the middle. And I don't know whether you noticed that in the reading. It wasn't laid out like that in your Bibles or on the screen, but it. Uh, this is the, the way that Mark has written this section, which is uh, a bit of a relief because uh, sometimes when we're given a passage of scripture, uh, we just have to go with whatever's there. But this passage does follow this chiasm structure, uh, this sandwich structure. It's a bit like a Scooby-Doo sandwich in that there are lots of layers. Uh, but we, we find the story begins and ends uh, with Jesus at home. Now this home is the home probably of Peter and Andrew. Uh, it's at Capernaum and in Mark chapter 1 we, we get to Capernaum and we see that Jesus has a crowd by the end of the day. It says that at the evening after he'd healed Peter's mother-in-law that the whole, the whole town had gathered at the door and he healed many people of many diseases. And so a crowd at this house is a, is a very common thing in the first few chapters of Mark in chapter 2, we, we go to the same house, and this is the house where then a hole is made in the roof because uh, although there was a crowd inside listening to Jesus talking, um, there were other people who were so desperate to get there that they made a hole in the roof and lowered a guy who was paralyzed through the roof. Uh, Jesus' family actually in this uh, are some distance away. Uh, they live in Nazareth, and at the beginning of the story, they're on a journey to Capernaum to come and sort Jesus out. They've heard that things are getting a bit out of hand. I mean, for goodness sake, he's not even eating properly. And the distance from Nazareth to Capernaum is about the same as Leeds to York. Um, and maybe it's because there's been this little party that's come through Nazareth on their way from Jerusalem to York that they're made a little bit more eager to get to Jesus. Uh, the word that's used for, for what they want to do is they actually want to arrest Jesus. A bit strong. Uh, the scribes are coming from Jerusalem to confront Jesus. Uh, they will probably have to come through Nazareth. The distance from Nazareth to Jerusalem is about the same as Derby 
to York, and that works quite well too because the distance from Derby to Leeds is about the same distance as the distance from Jerusalem to Nazareth. Now, um, the Roman uh, army could march 15 to 18 miles a day. So these are not small journeys. These are people who are very determined to get to be with Jesus, but for the wrong reason. Now, the last time we read about this house and a crowd gathering there in Mark chapter 2 with the man lowered through the roof, there are scribes present, but they would be the local legal, religious legal representatives. And on that occasion, they have a problem because when the man is lowered through the roof, Jesus says to the man, your sins are forgiven. And they've got an immediate religious theological issue with that because that sounds to them like blasphemy because no one can forgive sins except God alone so what they've done is they've sent messengers off to Jerusalem and now there are scribes coming from Jerusalem uh, the you know the next generation up the next level up of scribe uh, these are the people coming from Derby to sort out the people, well, it doesn't work there, does it? But it's like sending to Canterbury or, or London to get York sorted out. Um, and so we see uh, that the scribes and the family are outside the house and Jesus is inside. But the scribes are now saying, that what the work that Jesus is doing in driving out demons in particular is demonic itself and so they've sent that sort of message into the room and Jesus goes out to them and remonstrates with them um, they say he's doing the work of the devil he says that's an absolute nonsense uh, the devil isn't going to fight himself and there's a little play there on things like a kingdom divided with itself will not stand a house divided with itself will not stand and so the the answer to is Jesus doing the work of the devil is no Jesus is actually acting on God's authority and we see that because at the baptism of Jesus Heaven is opened and the Holy Spirit descends on Jesus in the form of a dove and there's a voice from heaven that says, this is my son who I love, with him I am well pleased. So Mark has already given us the inside information that actually Jesus is far from doing the work of the devil, he's on God's mission. And therefore what the scribes are saying is itself blasphemy. Can you see the irony? Um, they accused Jesus of blasphemy last time they were in the house, and this time he, he's saying, no, it's you who's being blasphemous. Uh, you're, you're saying what I'm doing, me, who God has said, is I'm his beloved son and he's pleased with, and on whom the Holy Spirit has descended, you're saying I'm doing that work through the power of the devil. 
And it's a nonsense, isn't it? But he then warns them. Uh, but he also warns the family. The family are put in their place. Isn't that striking? His mother and brothers outside the room. And the message comes in and says, they've arrived from Nazareth. They, they want to arrest you. <laughs> They're going to take charge of you, feed you and stuff. Um, but you're, you're causing a bit of a, a scene, a bit of an embarrassment to the family. They've even sent people up Jerusalem, for goodness sake, to come and sort you out. Come on, we're going to take control. Uh, come with us. And Jesus says, well, who is uh, my mother and my brothers? Uh, he repeats back the language to them. And then he looks at the people sat around him and says, look, here, on the inside, are my mother and brothers. And then he says that last thing, whoever does the will of God is my mother and brother and sister. Interesting that he adds sister, whereas the people that came into the room seemed to think it was a male-only thing. Okay, that's probably enough about structure, except to say that what we've seen here, you may have heard that uh, C.S. Lewis once said, when it comes to Jesus, you have to come to a conclusion of he's one of three things. He's either mad, he's bad, or he's who he says he is. And this morning, we have to come to that conclusion about Jesus. Is he mad? Is he bad? Or is he who God says he is? I wonder where you fit in that picture. What level would you be at? What colour would you be in that chart? Where are you in relation to Jesus? Well, let's talk about uh, the four aspects that I want to focus on. Um, those of you that have done Read, Mark, Learn are at a, at a bit of an advantage because you'll have all these resonances going on in this passage already with what you know the rest of Mark says. For those of you who haven't, um, there'll be an altar call at the end and you can come and sign up. No. Um, we will be running Read, Mark, Learn again soon. Okay, so the first point, outside versus inside. Um, it's sometimes a bit of a shock, isn't it, that it seems that Jesus doesn't want everyone to be saved. I don't know if you... <laughs> Uh, I mean, couldn't he just go out and say, no, you're all welcome, all come in here, it's fine. It's also a little bit surprising. See, in their culture, it was very well understood who was on the inside and who was on the outside. Uh, the people really on the inside were the religious people, uh, the people that went to church, so well done. Um, the people on the inside were the people that kept the commandments, that kept the law. The people on the inside were respectable, and they dressed well. Oh dear. 
And the people on the outside were the hoi polloi, <laughs> oh dear. Um, they were the working classes, uh, they were the people that maybe even had to work on the Sabbath um, because they didn't have enough to make ends meet, uh, or they were the notorious sinners, the prostitutes, or the, even worse, the tax collectors. And I think our society is very good at dividing, and uh, there are good people and there are bad people. We're a very divisive nation, aren't we? But the surprise here is that in Jesus' kingdom, things are flipped upside down, back to front. So the people on the inside are not the people you expect. Of course, ultimately, the people on the outside would be people like Gentiles, uh, probably most of us. Um, I mean, it was even reflected in their architecture. Uh, the temple had different layers, and uh, there was a part for priests only, or a part even for one priest once a year, a part for men, a part where women were allowed to go, and then there was the court of the Gentiles, but that had recently been made into a market. But of course, the, probably the biggest shock in this passage is that members of Jesus' own family, including his mother, appear to be on the outside when strangers are on the inside. I don't know if you found that difficult. Um, a, a lot of theology has gone wrong because people assume that Jesus... Jesus' mother Mary was perfect. She never sinned. Uh, these brothers and sisters of Jesus must have been either um, adopted or, or perhaps Joseph's stepchildren. I don't know, Mary's stepchildren. No, um, the Bible never teaches that. It does teach that Mary saw Jesus as her saviour. Um, and that's um, a useful thing to hold on to. The whole division thing gets a bit bigger as well because um, for the first time in this section we hear a phrase that rattles out several times in Mark that Jesus began to speak to them in parables. Now, you might think that a parable is a, a really health, helpful story that uses something of an earthly nature uh, like a farming illustration to, to, to help explain some heavenly reality. You've probably heard uh, the name for parable explained in that way. But no, uh, let's read uh, what Jesus says about parables in the next chapter, in Mark chapter 4, verses 10 to 12. Uh, this is just after he has told the parable of the sower, you know, the one with the four kinds of ground and the good seed and and the birds of the air, and the cares of the earth, and the thorns, and, the, and so on. And uh, you're very welcome to go and read that up later. But when he was alone with his followers, along with the twelve, actually you should just explain, the twelve are just before this bit that we read this morning. Uh, if you've got your Bible, you could, you'll check that out. Uh, he was with his own people, with the and with the twelve, 
And they begin asking him about the parables because not only was it not clear to anyone outside, it wasn't particularly clear to, to those inside either. And he said to them, to you has been given the mystery of the kingdom of God. But those on the outside get everything in parables. And that would be all right, except he goes a bit further by quoting from Isaiah chapter 6, and that's where it gets difficult. So that while seeing, they may see and not perceive, and while hearing, they may hear and not understand, otherwise they might return and be forgiven. And there's no easy way around that. It appears to be that Jesus deliberately used parables as a way to keep the wrong people out. That's a bit shocking. Why would he do that? Surely he is the saviour of the world. Surely he wants everyone to come and to be saved. What do you make of that? Well, let me just um, give you a little bit of help. Uh, we'll unpack it a lot more in Read, Mark, Learn. But the parables are used by Peter, uh, by, by, by Jesus, sorry, as a filter. Uh, they make sure you're serious. They make sure that you want to come to Jesus, not on your terms, but on his terms. And if you're not ready to do that, it's a bit like conspiracy theories. If you're really convinced that the earth is flat, it doesn't matter how much evidence is given to you, you will be stuck in that way of thinking unless something very dramatic happens. So parables are a filter. They're almost a, a kind of litmus test. How you respond to a parable says something about where you are. If you dismiss it as nonsense, as folly, um, then you're obviously not ready for what Jesus has to say. But if the parable is puzzling and you really don't understand it, then that's okay. Um, Jesus just wants you to come and hear some more. The outside-inside thing also tells us a bit about posture, how you come to Jesus. Outside, the people are very active. They're standing, they're in Jesus' face, they're pointy finger, and they're arguing. On the inside, people are passive. They're sitting at Jesus' feet. Some of them are even kneeling and they're listening. So there are people on the outside and there are people on the inside and the good news is that you can go from being on the outside to being on the inside. That position is not forever fixed. So some of Jesus' family 
will come on the inside. We know Mary's on the inside. Some of the religious people start on the outside. They oppose Jesus and in the book of Acts we see that they come and follow Jesus. There's also a warning though because the verse we didn't read just before had the list of all the, the 12. And in verse 19, it finishes with Judas Iscariot who betrayed him. That comes as a warning. You may think you're on the inside, but all along you may have been on the outside. So whether you're in or out, and knowing where you are is really important. One final thing about outside and inside is don't rely on your privilege, your privilege of birth. Your family connections aren't enough to bring you safely to Jesus. That has to be something that you do yourself. Okay, next slide. Blasphemy, sin and forgiveness. It's going to get heavy, isn't it? <laughs> Sorry, it's already pretty heavy. And here we go, heavier still. Um, Jesus has already been accused of blasphemy in Mark chapter 2. He will be accused of it again in Mark chapter 14 at his trial at the religious court. But here he turns the table on the religious elite. Now, blasphemy, we'll, we'll go with this de definition for today because I'm here and I've got the mic. Um, I would say that blasphemy is arguing with and misrepresenting God. Arguing with and misrepresenting God. Blasphemy is actually the oldest trick in the book. When the serpent comes to Eve and has a conversation about whether or not it's a good thing to eat the fruit that they've been told not to, to eat, the serpent says, well, did God really say? And he starts to misrepresent what God has said. And uh, that's why we're all in this mess today. So blasphemy is a sin, uh, but what is sin? Uh, the catechism would say to us that sin is any want of conformity or transgression of the law of God. And you can go away and look that up if you want. The Book of Common Prayer has a confession that says sin is that we have left undone those things that we ought to have done and we have done those things that we ought not to have done and there is no health in us. The bad news also from this passage is that sin has eternal consequences. Do you see that? It's a, there are such things as eternal sins. Now, your biggest issue, my biggest issue, more important than COVID, is that, that sin has consequences. The good news is that sin can be forgiven. 
And we saw that in Mark chapter 2, or if you, you would have done if you'd been doing Read, Mark, Learn. Uh, please go away and check the previous chapter. But you will see that Jesus has authority to forgive sins. It's even better in this section because he says, all sin and all blasphemy. Hold on a minute. Isn't there a kind of blasphemy that can't be forgiven? Is that the point? Isn't that the worry that we've got? Yes, he does talk about blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. The unforgivable sin. Can I just say, if you think you've committed that and you're worried about it, you haven't. Because somebody who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit doesn't give two figs. Another Mark reference there. Um, No. If you're blaspheming against the Holy Spirit, you have no interest in Jesus at all. You will have dismissed him as mad or bad. You will not be at all bothered by the fact. I chose that translation particularly uh, from the New American Standard and even tweaked it a little. Um, Whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness but is caught in an eternal sin. It's a sin that you will remain in until you step out of it. Go back to the conspiracy theory thing. You may be trapped in it. Maybe nothing that I could say to you this morning would convince you to come to Jesus to be healed. And as long as you persist in that, as long as you say that the only means of you being forgiven doesn't work, you are caught in it forever. That's what this means. If you think that Jesus is nonsense, that there's nothing wrong with you, you don't need him, that will be an eternal sin. But if you're genuinely anxious about that, that's good. And you can go straight to Jesus. Because the doctor is in. I think if I'd had the, the, wanted to go big on the graphics, I would have had uh, Peanuts and Lucy with the doctor is in, five cents. The doctor is in. Jesus actually in chapter two says that he is the doctor. Not Doctor Who, Uh, he is the doctor. He says, the, the healthy have no need of a doctor, only the sick. I didn't come for righteous people. I came to call sinners. That's good news. But you have to believe you've got a problem before you'll think of going to the doctor. And you'll have to believe that the doctor can help you. The stronger man. Right at the centre of our passage, Jesus talks about the situation of a strong man that is holding some plunder and that it needs an even stronger man to come to relieve him of his plunder. It's actually an Old Testament reference. Uh, It's in Isaiah chapter 49, uh, in verse 24. Can the prey be taken from the mighty man? 
or the captives of a tyrant be rescued. Surely, thus says the Lord, even the captives of the mighty man will be taken away and the prey of the tyrant will be rescued. For I will contend with the one who contends with you and I will save your sons. That's interesting, isn't it? So it's not just a random illustration that Jesus whipped up. It was actually there in the Bible already and the scribes would have known it and Jesus is saying not only have I got authority to do these things, I am the stronger man. Well, that's encouraging, isn't it? John has already said it. He said, I'm baptizing you with water, but after me is coming one who is stronger than I. So Jesus is the mighty champion, the strong man. And actually the chapters that finish after this, sorry, that, that follow after this, give us some lovely examples of this. Uh, not within, you know, just in the next chapter after chapter 4, chapter 5, uh, we meet a guy formerly known as Legion. He has so many demons that they, they call him Legion. And he's a strong man. People can't subdue him. They've tried tying him up. They've tried chaining him up. He just pulls everything off and runs around the, the graveyard, self-harming, there's blood everywhere. It's just a horrible, horrible picture and nobody can do a thing. And Jesus just says, come out of him, unclean spirit. Legion comes running up to Jesus, falls at his feet, on his knees. And at the end of the story, he sat there, clothed and in his right mind. Next we meet uh, a Jairus, who's another religious guy, he's a synagogue official. His little daughter is terminally ill. And actually in the story, she dies. And yet the mightier one comes and raises her to life. And that story, as you remember, is mixed up with this woman who's had this terrible disease for 12 years. Nobody can help her. She's spent all her money on the most expensive doctors. And not only has she not got better, she's got worse. And where do we find her at the end of the story? Healed and at Jesus' feet. She comes on her knees to Jesus. Jesus is the mighty one. There is nothing that he cannot deal with. The very next chapter has the storm and the, the disciples. Some of them are fishermen. They know how to handle a boat on the Sea of Galilee. They think they're going to drown. And with a word, Jesus stills the wind and the waves. And they are terrified of him because of his might. We sang of God, merciful and mighty, didn't we? I thought I was onto the right thing when I heard that. But sin is, is like being a captive. Uh, we have a hymn by, the very famous hymn by Charles Wesley, And Can It Be? And he talks about 
Long my imprisoned spirit lay, fast bound in sin and nature's night. Thine eye diffused a quickening ray. I woke the dungeon flame with light. My chains fell off. My heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. He's talking about the same Jesus who is mightier than the things that bind you. But what does this mightiness look like? This is where it gets a bit difficult. Because as I've mentioned, Jesus is also accused of blasphemy. And when they accuse him of blasphemy, they decide he is worthy of death and they bind him. Jesus talking a lot about unbinding himself becomes the one who is bound. There's another strong man who is bound in Mark chapter 15, a guy called Barabbas. And he is unbound so that Jesus can be bound in his place. See, the strong man sets us free by being bound for us. And Mark chapter 10, verse 45 says, even the Son of Man didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So when you look for the mightiness of Jesus, you have to go to the cross. You have to see the Son of God loved by the Father, with whom the Father is well pleased, taking our place, taking the place of the rebel. So what is God's will for you? Well, the text makes it very clear. Sitting at Jesus' feet is God's will for you. You might think there's lots of stuff you need to do, lots of things you need to do for Jesus. But what Jesus says here is looking at a room full of people sat around him, he says, this is my family. These people are my mother, sister and brother because they do God's will and God's will is that they sit at my feet. So, if you're on the outside this morning, come in, sit down, shut up, and listen. And only speak when he tells you. Read Mark Learners, remember? Don't tell anyone? Yeah, okay, good, right. Jesus, the merciful and mighty one. Just another thought about inside and outside. Uh, we all live in York, or we're visiting York, and the landmark is the Minster. Have you ever seen the stained glass at the Minster? Well, if you go and walk around the Minster, 
on the outside, you will be unimpressed because it just looks grey. All right, it's shiny, but it's grey. But go inside and you will see something astonishing. You will see colour like you've never seen it. And so the invitation is to come to the inside and see the beauty, the glory of Jesus. Now, um, we've run out of time, but we're going to celebrate communion as we leave. Jesus invites us to come to his feast. Interesting that at the beginning of the story, he didn't have time to eat, but he's given us time to eat. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, betrayed, while they were eating, Jesus took bread, and when he'd given thanks, he broke it and he gave it to his disciples, saying, take it, this is my body. Then he took a cup, and when he'd given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank from it. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many he said to them now we've got a prayer that's going to appear on the screen I'd like you to mumble along behind your masks with me as we go through this prayer this is a prayer which calls on uh, something that um, another person that came to Jesus on their knees in Mark's gospel did and Read Mark Learners will spot it and those of you that haven't can either come and join Read Mark Learn or you can Talk to somebody who has. Let's say these words together. We do not presume to come to this your table, merciful Lord, trusting in our own righteousness, but in your abundant and great mercies. We are not worthy so much as to gather up the crumbs under your table. But you are the same Lord, whose character is always to have mercy. Grant us, therefore, gracious Father, so to eat the flesh of your dear Son, Jesus Christ, and to drink his blood, that our sinful bodies may be made clean by his body and our souls washed through his most precious blood, and that we may evermore dwell in him and he in us. Amen. Now, there are some words uh, to help you consider what you're doing. Um, taken from the Book of Common Prayer, they'll be on the screen outside as you collect the elements on your way out, and we will just alternate the words. So if you want, you can take these words uh, to yourself, or you could say them to one of your, um, what's the word? Uh, your household group, yeah? Um, anyone that you're allowed to, to be with, that you're sitting with now, you could take uh, the bread and the cup and you could say these words to each other. I'm just going to do it now with Rachel, who read to us earlier. And then that's it, guys. The body of our Lord Jesus Christ, which was given for you, preserve your body and soul unto everlasting life. Take and eat this in remembrance that Christ died for you 
and feed on him in your heart with thanksgiving. The blood of our Lord Jesus Christ, which was shed for you, preserve your body and soul unto everlasting life. Drink this in remembrance that Christ's blood was shed for you, and be thankful. Let's go and let's have the food.